0: There's a very, very, very small percentage of people in the Coffs region who are in any church on any given Sunday. The vast, vast, vast majority of the population of Coffs are far from God and far from his mercy and his love of salvation. And so we cling to Jesus and we spend our days trying to share Jesus because we believe it is the hope of all eternity. And bless you for being here today, whatever it took you to get here. You know? And it usually takes a bit each Sunday. We, we always have the most bizarre, heavy things go down on Sundays. You know? So it always takes a lot to get here. So well done. God's given you the grace to be here. And um, the message that I'm going to bring this afternoon is another one-off before we kick into John. Even though tomorrow we start with the daily readings and I hope you'll be doing that like Adam just shared with you. Um, I've got one more for you and I've chosen this one from Hebrews chapter 11 because it's the mention of Moses' faith. And off the back of just doing Exodus, I just kind of thought, let's dig in a little bit more to Moses and see him as an encouragement for us in our faith. If you're someone who's been attempting to walk in the Lord for a number of years now, you'll know you go through hard times. You go through hard times trying to cling to your faith, walk through tricky situations and circumstances and if there's one thing I've learned, it's that when I'm feeling like this is really hard for me right now to be a Christian or just this is hard for me, one thing that really helps me is to remember that I am not the first one to go through hard times. Yeah, does that ever help you? If you look back through history, what you'll see is men and women of God walking faithfully through hardship after hardship, and that's one of the very key things that's going to help you traverse tricky terrain in life, is to, number one, remember, I'm not the first one to walk through this. Some have walked through things just like this beautifully, and and so many Christians will read Christian biography. If you haven't read any Christian biographies of those who have gone before us, do that. Um, there's, you know, what you get in Hebrews chapter 11 is like a little snippet of Christian biographies of you know, a couple of the great men and women of faith through the Scriptures, through history. Um, none of them are perfect at all, but we get little glimpses, little summaries of their life of faith. And so what we're going to do is we're going to dig back into this moment, uh, thinking about the faith that Moses had. And there's one thing particularly that's on view here, and it's Moses' ability to stand with the people of God and be mistreated. Moses' choice to stand with the people of God and be mistreated. Um, th- that's, what, that's what we're going to look at here today. I'm not sure if you've been watching the news this week, but um, maybe you caught this, that the newly appointed CEO of the AFL club Essendon in Melbourne, some of you guys don't know what AFL is, and that's okay, really. Um, um, his name's Andrew th- Thorburn. Yep. He was appointed on a Monday or a Tuesday, and he resigned the very next day because pressure was put on him to make a choice between continuing to actually sit in that role as CEO of the football club um, or he had a choice, he he needed to pick one of the other. You see he was also the chairman of the board of a church in Melbourne and others on the board of the football club said, you need to make a choice, mate, you can't do both. You can't be CEO of this football club and be the chairman of the board on that church because that church is a controversial church. Have you been watching the news this week? So he, he, he made this decision. Which is pretty radical, and it's kind of floored everyone um, to actually not go on as the CEO of the football club and instead just remain as the chairman of the board of this church. Now, the reason why it's kind of sparked my attention is because that church that's been labelled a controversial church um, is th- they're like, they're friends with us. Yeah, it's a, f- it's a friend of mine who started a church down in Melbourne a long time ago, or 12 years ago, City on a Hill. It's not my best friend, I don't to go claiming that, but it's just. It's just an Anglican with traditional conservative views of reading the Bible. And really what's kind of come out, and the reason why he has been labeled a controversial pastor and the church has been labeled a controversial church, is simply around um, the view, their views on homosexuality and abortion, which are just the traditional Bible teachings on those two topics. Um, that's controversial in our world. Um, now, it, it's also a kind of complex scenario. There's lots more that can be said, and I don't really want to go into it. But I just, want to, I just wanted to say that, that, that I saw that happen this week. This, this fellow make a really hard decision to step away from being CEO of the football club because there was pressure on him that he couldn't do both. Now, that's not always going to be our situations, you know, but, but it was for him. And he chose to side with the people of God and I think cop mistreatment for it. Um, Have you ever made that kind of a decision Um, that's been really costly to you, but out of conviction, you couldn't subtly step away from God and his people to stay in good stead with the world? And so you made that hard decision. Chances are we're all going to need to make decisions like that at some point in our life little ones and big ones. And what we look at here among Moses is he makes a decision. Um, to side with the people of God, and it's hugely costly to him. We're going to look at um, how he did that and why he did it and and attempt to be encouraged by his faith as we live in the same old world that godly men and women who have gone before us have lived in many, many times. We can tend to think, oh, our times are unique. (laughs) Um, But different versions of what's been happening in this day have been happening right through history. God's people have always been on a level despised. Um, and so let's look at how it went down for Moses. Did you follow the reading there in Hebrews chapter 11? Um, we, we pick it up there in verse 29. Let me just turn a page and get there. Where are we? I don't know, flipping through notes that are written down here. Hebrews chapter 11, is a, it's a list of what you could call the hall of fame of the faithful ones who have gone before us. None of them were perfect, but they're labelled in verse 38 as the ones who the world was not worthy of. <laughs> That's a huge rap, isn't it? The world was not worthy of these ones. They were the ones who were courageous for the faith, commended for their faith. They were mistreated and flogged and imprisoned and stoned and sawed in two for the faith. Moses' story you get from verse 24 through to verse 27 um, is hopefully going to be an encouragement to us. Now, we've just been through Exodus, so we kind of know the deal with Moses, but if you don't, Moses is about 40 years old when, when this is described. He's the one who was God's chosen liberator of the Israelites when they are in slavery in Egypt. Moses is the one who led them out of slavery, was given the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai and, and for 40 years wandered around with them in the desert. Um, his life begins in a pretty miraculous way there. you Actually, when you pick up in verse 23, that his, his parents' faith kind of hid him from the king's edict when when, um, the king of Pharaoh wanted to kill all the baby boys and throw them in the Nile. Moses was rescued miraculously. His name means, you know, drawn from the water. And verse 24, it says, by faith, when he had grown up. Now, usually when we talk about someone's grown up in our society, though they've become, what is it? 18. That's usually when someone becomes an adult. But just worth, worth noting here, Moses is 40 years old when this happens. So it seems as though the Bible is saying, once you turn 40, you've grown up. I'm encouraged by that. I feel like I'm finally a grown up. Although in my mind, half the time I still don't feel like I am. I think that's one of the biggest secrets about adults is um, they look like they're growing up, but in their minds, they still feel like a kid half the time. Or is that just me? I'm mumbling now. So Moses. Once he'd grown up, he makes this really big decision and he chooses a line of conduct that he knew would mean he was mistreated. It's not thrust upon him, he steps into this. Now, we don't get all the details back in Exodus chapter 2, but it's that moment where Moses decides to stand up for one of his fellow Israelites slaves who's being mistreated and he steps in to defend him. That's the snippet that we get in Exodus chapter 2. My hunch is that there's a lot more that's been going on for Moses for quite some time before that moment. I actually think there's been things bubbling away in him for years and there's been moments where he chooses to side with his people because back in Exodus chapter 2 the way it describes for Moses is he looks out at the slaves and he sees them as his fellow people. Yep, his own people, even though he's been raised in the palace as one of as um, Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh's daughter's son, with all the privileges and all the power and all the pomp and everything, he still sees the Israelites as his own people. So something's been bubbling away in him from day one, and there's probably a lot more to it. But there's this one particular moment when Moses chooses to step in and side with the mistreated slaves in Egypt, the Israelites, and it costs him massively. It changes the whole direction and course of his life. And I, what I want us to acknowledge is this, that when Moses does this, and as it just let's actually just read what it says there, verse 24, "'By faith Moses, when he had grown up, "'refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter,' He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So it's an identity thing for him. He says, I'm not just going to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. I'm going to be with these people. And verse 26 says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. What he does here is he gives up three things that I can see. And these are typically the three things that most of us will spend most of our life going after. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think these three at least lie at the heart of what I want to go after most of the time in my life. Position or acceptance, pleasure and treasure. And these are the things that Moses gives up. He gives up position because he, he refuses to be seen simply as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, which is really the prince of Egypt. He's probably, he's probably going to be the first in line for the throne next. He's got serious position and rank. He's a real somebody in a really superpower country. He's got title and honour. He's got power. He's known and respected and approved of by pretty much everyone in the whole of the community The the very things that most of us struggle to get most of our lives, just the acceptance of people. He gives up being a real somebody among the Egyptians to become a nobody among God's people because he sees that's where the value is. He turns his back on all these things and instead he chooses to be looked down upon and ignored and mocked and he basically has to run from Egypt. He's chased and he runs for his life out of the place to Midian. He gives up serious position. And what lies behind position is usually just that people see you and accept you and know you and we've all got deep longings for that. And Moses goes, I'm letting go of that. <laughs> I'm gonna be with the nobodies and I'm gonna cop nothing. Position, um, pleasure. That's mentioned there as well, isn't it? When you see in verse 25, it says um, uh, he chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses would have had every single enjoyable thing right at his fingertips, all of the pleasures that he could possibly go after, you know, like intellectual pleasure art and science, social pleasure, anyone at his beck and call, sensual pleasure, you know, the lusts of, of, of sin, the lusts of the flesh, and I think that's probably what's referred to there with the pleasures of sin, for most people today, we go after pleasure in multiple forms. We, f- we, we hope to find it in travel. We hope to find it in entertainment. We hope to find it in sexual expression. We hope to find it in substances. We want pleasure because we, we feel the discomfort of when pleasure's not there and we can just subtly go after it. And Moses just turns his back on the pleasures of Egypt and he refuses it, he gives it up, and instead he chooses torment, mistreatment, Tears, pain, abuse, distress with his people. You see what's going on for him? Disgrace, it says there. He chooses disgrace, and did you pick up the language disgrace? For the sake of Christ. Did you find that interesting? It, Moses is, you know, a thousand years before Christ. But the New Testament reading and understanding of what Moses was doing connects his behaviour with Christ somehow. I think it implies that in a level, all suffering anticipates the ultimate suffering in Christ. Like suffering that's associated with being with God's people. Before Christ anticipates him. And all suffering for Jesus is is actually for the cause of God's plan of salvation, ultimately. He gives up position, he gives up pleasure, he gives up treasure. There's the other one in it. It's just like acceptance, enjoyment, money, you know, these are the things we typically go after. He gives it up. Now, you might just go ahead and imagine the treasures of Egypt. The superpower at the time had more money than, than any of the superpowers through history, I think, or at least one of them. I mean, some of their monuments to themselves and their own treasure still exist today. I mean, who builds the pyramids? They're still here. Their wealth was kind of unimaginable, and it was all really going to be there for Moses. And he walks away from the ultimate inheritance, the ultimate treasure. And instead he embraces what the world thinks is poverty. But he sees as true riches. He goes and hangs out with the slaves. He values his citizenship among God's people and chooses to be mocked and hated and persecuted with them. Now, when you hear about that, tell me there's something in you that just thinks... That sounds a bit crazy. You know, why would you give up all of that? Who, gi- who does that? Who gives up position, you know, treasure, pleasure? Who does that? Well, notice this. Moses is a 40-year-old man, highly educated. This is a deliberate decision. It's well thought through. He's not just youthful and kind of crazy and trying to be a radical without thinking about the consequences. And he's not so old that he's about to fall off the perch and he thinks, oh, it's about to be lost anyway, so I'll give it up now. He's right in what you would call, wouldn't you, the prime of his life. Yeah, he's 40. 40 your 40s, you realise, are your best days. In a few years' time, I'm going to be saying, it's your 50s that are your best days, All right. <laughs> I don't know that our society thinks your 40s are your best years, but this is Moses in the life. He ditches all the things we typically live for, and he takes on all the things we typically try to avoid. It sounds like craziness. Either he's having the biggest midlife crisis you've ever heard of, or he's on to something. He's on to something better. He's on to something bigger. And this is what Hebrews 11 wants us to understand. He actually sees with the eyes of faith what is truly valuable, and he goes after it. And it's only the eyes of faith that will enable you to live this way. Be encouraged by your brother Moses. Faith, genuine faith, will enable you to see clearly the realities of life who God is, what he's up to, and help you make decisions in line with that, instead of what our society will tell you to focus on. Our society will actually tell you you're nuts if you make big decisions in line with your faith in Christ. And the ultimate realities of the universe and where everything is headed. Which I tell you what, when you have these moments with your Bibles open and you see clearly what it is, you think, why aren't we living more like this? Why aren't all our decisions focused on growing the gospel, expanding the gospel, enjoying Jesus, helping more people come to Christ? It's because we're immersed in the world and we're not seeing clearly every day. Moses has the eyes of faith. So we can see what's truly great. And if I could try to summarise what I think Moses sees clearly with his eyes of faith, I'll say he sees three things with eyes of faith. He sees, he's able to say with eyes of faith, I see my God, I see my people, and I see my home. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But it's profound. And if we can live with eyes of faith, and see this too. We see our God, our people, our home. It'll help us make decisions in line with the men and women who have gone before us through the centuries and honored God in the midst of their fallenness, honored God, but been laughed at by the world. Here's the first one Moses says, I reckon, he says, I see my God. You see, there in verse 27. By faith he left Moses, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Catch that? He saw him who is invisible, which might be a reference to when he saw the burning bush, that, you know, that epiphany of God, theophany of God. I think it's talking about something bigger than just him seeing the burning bush you might say oh if I could see God in a burning bush I'd make these kind of decisions too. No he sees the one who is invisible, the God who is the ultimate power in the universe is not visible before us each day. But Moses with the eyes of faith can see that God is real and true and alive. He can see that God's word is to be trusted even when it is against the stream of the culture that you're living in. Moses is able to see with the eyes of faith that God is the one who's powerful. God is the one who's holy. God is the one who's perfect. God is the one who will judge us all. God is the one who's loving. God is the one who's merciful. God is the one who's gracious. And God is the one who's come to save us through Christ. This is what Moses sees. He sees the one who is invisible. Can you see with the eyes of faith our God? And when I say that, I don't mean have you got blind faith? Often Christian faith or religious faith is described like it's this blind faith thing where there's... Blind faith is like zero evidence, um, but you hope it's there, so you just shut your eyes and you just jump in. That's, That's usually the way blind faith is spoken of. Is that the case? Is there zero evidence, shut your eyes, jump in, hope it's true? Now, faith is not blind, actually. Faith in God is looking at the evidence of his existence and what he's done and coming to the best, most logical conclusion about who he is and what he's done for you. That's what faith is. Now, God helps you see those things. God helps you see the evidence. And what is the evidence of our invisible God? Um creation, there's one, pretty orderly, pretty beautiful, pretty amazing, you know, the least evidence of an intelligent designer, Um, evidence of like a conscience that's in humanity that keeps us longing for really deep things and feeling ripped off when life ends, like you don't send to see in the animal world. But the ultimate evidence that you can see is to just look in history. Look at the historical events that have actually happened and particularly look to the historical man, Jesus, who lived and died and rose again. Verifiable evidence. And if there's verifiable evidence, then you're just making a logical, reasonable conclusion or decision based on the evidence that's available. That's not blind faith. It's, it's the eyes of faith that, that, God, that God will give you to help you actually see the evidence and come to that conclusion. Moses could see his invisible God. Can you see our God? And some of you are like, yeah. And ultimately what gives you the eyes of faith is when God comes to live in you by his spirit so you can see the evidence. And some of you have rejoiced for many years in the evidence and you're solid on God. Others of you are thinking maybe in this moment, yeah, I would like to see, I'd like to be convinced. I'm still not there yet. Whatever you do, don't go and feel like you need to try and pretend you are there and you've got a solid belief. You don't have to do that in this church. You're allowed to acknowledge, yeah, I don't really get it. I don't really believe it. Because the minute you do that, there's actually opportunity then for you to dig into um, what can be seen and what might help you. Moses says, "I see my God. Can you see God?" Second thing I reckon he says is, "I see my people." You know, so back in Exodus chapter two, verse eleven, Moses looks out at these slaves being mistreated in the line. It says he saw his own people. So he's not identifying as the prince's daughter's son anymore. That's not who he sees. as his people. He sees the slaves, the Hebrews, the Israelites, and he's like, "They're my people." and his heart breaks, and he can't help but to act, and he can't help but to associate, and he can't help but to belong and enter into and be mistreated. Moses sees his people. He sees the ones to whom he belongs, and he makes hardcore decisions to side with them. I would say Moses sees the reality of the true value of belonging to God's people, So he chooses to be mistreated because it's of greater value to belong to the people of God than to be accepted and live an enjoyable life in the world. Can you see what Moses saw? Can you see with the eyes of faith God's people to whom you belong if you've come to put your trust in Jesus? Can you, can you see that they're, your, that they're your brothers and sisters? Can you see that they are your eternal family? Can you look at them and, and feel towards them a kind of affection that doesn't really make sense on any other level, apart from the fact that God's helped you to see that they are your people, my people? Can you see? And when you look at them, though you see the dysfunction and, geez, we've got plenty of it, don't worry about that. If you're new here, it's worth you knowing that. We've got dysfunction and troubles, we've got limits, you know, we're all a bit of a mess and so it's kind of good to have you with us here so you can help that be more so, all right? (laughs) But though that's true, this is precious to God. And not, not just this, any local gathering of believers who have generally put their trust in Jesus, precious to God. And together we all belong to the family of God. And one day we will stand in among that great multitude from every nation of all those who have come to put their trust in Jesus and will worship him and we will see what we, are, what we belong to. We will actually rejoice in the reality of it feel like we're dropping the bucket a little bit here sometimes compared to the population of coughs even. But one day we're going to see the great multitude that we belong to. One day you're going to see the value of God's people. And, and, and many of you actually do value this. I'm not saying you don't, you know, because it's evidenced by how you live towards your brothers and sisters here. I remember the season when God revealed to me the reality of how precious he sees his people. And I say I remember the season because I lived for many years growing up in a church family but spending many years embarrassed, avoiding association, ashamed to belong, frustrated by the weirdos and the quirkiness of Christians. Yeah, that was me. Too cool. Too cool for Christians. Until God kind of grabbed a hold of me and by the shoulders and through a whole bunch of circumstances turned me around and showed me a bit of what he sees. He sees among his people and it just changed me and all of a sudden I found myself with desires for this motley crew that I'd never had before and it was God working in me, helping me to feel a bit of how he feels about his people, about his children and I'm so grateful for what he's done in my life and I've got a long way to go (laughs) in, in growing in my love for God's people in line with how much he loves you. Um, but I'm so grateful to be, I don't know, 30 years down the track and still just thinking, I don't, I don't know where there's anywhere else I would rather be. Despite all our things, I, this is beautiful and God's helped me see the beauty of it. You know? I'm so grateful for that. And if, if you're struggling at the moment with actually feeling the affection towards God's people, that's okay, don't worry. Everyone goes through seasons like that. If God is alive and well in you by his spirit, he will bring you back towards affection and desire for his people because that's where he's at. God's people can be a tricky place to be among, absolutely. Um, But if this is at the heart of what he's doing with the whole of the universe, he's bringing together a people, a people who he saved and a people who he loves, then he'll keep bringing you back. He'll keep bringing you back to know and love the ones he knows and loves. Moses says, "I see my people. Do you see your people? Who do you affiliate with the most? Who do you identify with the most? Is it a racial slice? Is it your own family name? Is it your sporting kind of world? Is it a community you grew up in? Is it your uh, the job that you're in and that kind of do you see your people? Do you associate with them first and foremost? Will you sacrifice to stand with them? Uh, Because that's going to need to be the case as the years tick by and who knows when it will come our way in a big way. Third thing he sees, and how am I going for time? I'm doing all right. The third thing Moses sees is um, he says, I think with the eyes of faith, he says, says, I see my home, which is just to look beyond this place and see his home which is kind of the essence of faith. Verse 26, have a look. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. So it's it's like Moses is thinking, no, no, I can cop this because this isn't all I get. I'm looking ahead to my reward and I'm assuming what he's got in mind there he's looking ahead to his ultimately heavenly reward the, the the city to which he really belongs which is he's still yet to fully experience he's able to give up much driven by a confidence and an assurance in the promises of God that he will be together with all of God's people experiencing the riches of proximity with the eternal God for all of eternity and knowing deep in his soul that that's what he was created for. That's the riches that are to come. Sometimes we think about the riches to come and we we try and put it in the version of riches that exist here on this earth and maybe there'll be a whole bunch of those things, you know. I hear surfers talk about, yeah, maybe when we get there, it'll be like this endless wave and, yeah, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) Revelation seems to be kind of a bit scared of the ocean. So, um, I don't know. Whatever it is, if there are actually physical pleasures, and there will be physical pleasures, it'll it'll, it'll make what we're experiencing now seem like silly little things. But the ultimate riches of heaven is actually just being with God, being in the immediate presence of a holy God and yourself being without sin, so you just enjoy his presence forever and I'm assuming there's just going to be that deep 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 contentment of knowing why you exist and living in it that's the reward of heaven that is to come which can help us live like strangers aliens here on this earth it can help us understand that we are just passing through this world for a brief moment and and our our home is yet to come. I I know you might own a property or half of it and the bank owns the other half or whatever. And I know you might feel the temptation like I do to think this is mine and this is my home. And and there's great graces from God in having a settled place to live and a roof over your head, that's part of his goodness to us. But this is not your home. I mean this certainly isn't our home. It's easy to remember. But even if we do have a church that's kind of permanent down the track one day, that's not our home. None of this is our home. Our home is still to come. And it's almost like we need to live with like a telescope strapped to our faces. You know, a telescope that just helps you see what's a long way away, but it brings it really close. You know, living with the eyes of faith and thinking about our home, I think, lives like that. We just have this thing and we're like, that's where I'm heading, that's my home, that's what I'm looking forward to, that's what's going to help me make decisions right now to to, to stay with Christ so I get that and to live in the kind of way that others would get that. Those who live by faith, not by sight, will be those who follow in the epic way of the ancients who have gone before us and lived in ways that the world has not understood, but is honouring to God and secures the future. Yeah? Moses can say, I see my God, I see my people, I see my home. How are you going with that? Can you say, I see my God, I see my people, I see my home? Because only faith will enable you to choose God and his people and the mistreatment that will come before the world. Only faith will enable you to actually put the promises of heaven um, and see them as better than the things on earth. Only faith is actually going to help you think about the gains of tomorrow instead of today's losses. It's only by faith that you'll be able to focus on the invisible God and see that as better than the things that you can see. It's only through the eyes of faith that the praise and acceptance of the Lord God, you see that as better than praise and acceptance of people in this world. It'll be the eyes of faith that help us say in our day, in, this, in these years, in this place, I see my God, I see my peeps, I see my home, and that's it for me. Let me pray. Father God, we are in desperate need of the work of your Holy Spirit to give us these eyes of faith. So that instead of being fully focused or even partially focused on all the things that are right in front of our face and all the ways in which the world we live in will tell us to live and all the things that those who don't have Christ live for. Lord, we need the eyes of faith to live for you. Please help us see you with clarity. Please help us see each other and treasure each other. And please help us long for our home and live waiting for that day, preparing ourselves and everyone else we possibly can for that day. And the people said, Amen.